0: Spy Cops Info Podcast A series on the secret undercover political police who spied on over a thousand campaign groups since 1968 Hashtag Spy Cops Pod Episode 17, Kate Wilson and the IPT, Part 3 You can find Part 1 on Episode 6 and you can find Part 2 in Episode 16 Welcome back to the penultimate episode of these podcasts about Kate Wilson's epic legal battle with the Metropolitan Police, specifically her human rights claim before the Investigatory Powers Tribunal at the High Court. In the last episode, Kate explained the history of the claim, the issues, and how she prepared for the case prior to trial. Today we are going to talk about the trial itself. Welcome back, Kate. Before we get to the courtroom drama, could you just recap the key issues?
1: By the time we got to trial, the police had admitted a lot of things about the case, but there were a number of issues that we were still disagreeing on. Whether senior officers knew about the intimate relationships, whether there was a culture of sexism in the undercover units, the lawfulness of the operations as a whole and political rights so the right to freedom of expression the right to freedom of association
0: why do you think they were holding out on these particular
1: points the admissions the police made were hanging mark kennedy out to dry they wouldn't admit to the systemic questions about the operations
0: Basically they were holding their hands up and saying Mark did bad stuff but we didn't ask him to do this bad stuff therefore it's not our fault.
1: The police pleadings were that there was no wrongdoing by any other police employees other than Mark Kennedy and possibly his immediate handler.
0: Let's move on to the trial itself. It was timetable to last for eight days.
1: Both sides had presented what's called a skeleton argument it's an outline of our case
0: police provided no witnesses at trial and didn't seek to cross-examine any of the witnesses who provided statements in your case what was the significance of that and how the trial played out
1: there was no courtroom drama there was no cross-examination there were no live witnesses at all it was a question of the lawyers directing the tribunal to specific pages of these extremely dense packs of evidence in order to illustrate particular points
0: what happened in the trial
1: the first day was a reading day for the tribunal to read all the documents. There were thousands of pages of witness statements and submissions. After that, we had our first day in court and we started presenting our case against the police, which took two and a half days. Uh, The police responded, which took a day and a half. And then the Friday was a closed hearing. So I was not able to attend that hearing and it dealt with matters that the court had ruled would remain secret. And then we summed up our case. That was the end. It actually ended a day earlier than it was timetabled.
0: Could people attend your trial?
1: There was it, There was very limited space. Because of Covid, there was, I think we had five seats in the public gallery, which we filled every day. But there was also internet access. It was live streamed. All you could really see was the walls of binders (laughs) full of documents that were piled up everywhere. I'm not sure how many people's faces you could see. But um, there were a lot of comments coming from people who were trying to follow... The public inquiry from home and who also dialled in to the secretive investigatory powers tribunal which was basically far easier to access and far more public than the ucpi
0: so your lawyer had uh, two and a half days to sum up your case can you do that in two and a half minutes for us now <laughs> You were representing yourself for a period of time, preparing the case for trial, and then you got a new legal team. So, did having a new legal team change the case as you uh, imagined it before going to trial?
1: If I had gone to trial as a litigant in person, I don't think there's any way we would ever have made it happen in eight days, because there was so many things that I would have wanted to present to the court. The tribunal was not going to be able to take in the arguments that I was overflowing with. At the final trial, I was represented by Charlotte Kilroy QC and a large team. What the lawyers did was prioritising the things that would most clearly make our case.
0: Okay, so let's go to that.
1: The case was divided into two parts on all of the points. There was a negative side and there was a positive side. The negative side was more of a legal point. The police had failed to present proper evidence and they failed to provide explanations to counter the claims that we were making.
0: So cops had failed to provide an adequate explanation for their abuses?
1: That failure ought to mean that the tribunal find against them positive side we went through the the facts and the available evidence about each point and made the case for why the tribunal should find in our favor we went into a lot of detail about the question of knowledge
0: quite a few specific examples given by your lawyers of evidence in disclosure that any reasonable person looking at would conclude that these people knew or should have known that you and Mark were having a relationship. Like really obvious attending family events.
1: For the year that I'm together with Mark, my name appears twice as often as anybody else's name.
0: The disclosure is absolutely peppered with this kind of stuff. So the oh, I'm at Katia's place, good night, last text and then the first text in the morning, breakfast with Katia, that kind of thing. The evidence that his handler ought to have known is really strong, but what about people higher up in the chain?
1: Our trip to Dublin for the Dublin May Day demonstrations. This was Mark Kennedy's first authorised overseas deployment. You can see The commanding officers taking a close interest and we were together for the entire time. There's a decision that records them paying for both mine and Mark's travel to Dublin. They clearly know who I am. They clearly know that we are together. The other event is following the tsunami. On Boxing Day 2004 where Mark had claimed that he was in Thailand. I don't know whether Mark was in Thailand. The police will neither confirm nor deny whether Mark went to Thailand that Christmas. That's part of the secret hearing on the day that I was not allowed to attend court. The contact logs on his return. Mark arrives at Heathrow, his handler is there, he watches me pick him up in the car park Heathrow. Mark then comes back with me to my parents' house. A number of key officers that we know were managing Mark's deployment are updated frequently over the next few days that Mark and I are together. Those are particularly key moments where it's clear that commanding officers are aware of me, aware of my presence and aware of my close relationship with Mark. There's also a meeting recorded between him and his commanding officers when I'm moving out of the house that we share together. And the only thing that's recorded about it is Katia is moving out of the house. Implications discussed. The people in that meeting know who I am, know that I live with Mark and know enough about my relationship to mark to be able to discuss the implications of me leaving the house the police case was that the officers that they had asked by email said they didn't know that mark was having sexual relationships and that nowhere in the documentation that they had given us was it recorded that mark was having a sexual relationship in those terms it was recorded quite early on that i had spent the night alone with him in his flat that was right at the beginning of our relationship
0: that's from a period of time in which almost no disclosure
1: the police have either lost or destroyed all of the operational records for the period of time when mark and i were first starting our relationship
0: it's quite incredible that you received that intelligence report um, something of a smoking gun
1: it was one of the last bits of disclosure i received having insisted over and over again that in the absence of contact logs for that period they had to give us the intelligence reports that they had personally i have no doubt having read the contact logs alongside intelligence reports where both exist that that intelligence report reflects a far more detailed contact log I believe that will have been deliberately destroyed because it records that Mark and I are having a sexual relationship that was pretty much it They went into some detail looking at the documents, making really stupid arguments like Mark Kennedy was trained to deceive and may well have deceived his handler about the relationship. Nothing about the police case was very good. The police case was being made by a group of lawyers. Their role was... Damage control. Yeah.
0: Give them something and...
1: You really got the impression that, the, the lawyers who were trying to defend the case just didn't really know the answers. Mm-hmm. The police didn't provide any witnesses with factual knowledge of the case. They were actually asked at trial to explain why. Their response was the witnesses would also be giving evidence to the public inquiry where they were, are protected by an undertaking and cannot be prosecuted for any of the answers that they give. If they gave evidence to the Investigatory Powers Tribunal, that evidence would not be protected.
0: So basically, had they uh, told the truth under oath about the operations, they may have found themselves liable for prosecution. It's is
1: not a very encouraging reason to give why no. you're not presenting witnesses. The tribunal started to notice the gaps in the information that the police were giving, and... Whereas I'd been asking these questions throughout the disclosure process and getting stonewalled, the tribunal were just able to say who had access to the information, how did the system work. The police were required by the tribunal to provide answers to that and they referred to a flow diagram from 2006 which implied that there was a sterile corridor within the MPOIU that would have meant that very, very few people had access to information because it was protected by a firewall within the unit. And after the police had made their case, we got to come back. There was an email in the disclosed documents from somebody inside the MPOIU back in 2006 who had also seen this document describing the firewalls and the sterile corridors and who had basically written back saying, well, I've looked at your flow diagram and it's dishonest.
0: So this email was striking because, you know, this is a police officer in the MPOU calling this organisational flow diagram dishonest and saying that they are lying and that if these are the rules, the rules are wrong. That's not how we work. That was a really powerful moment and definitely seemed to me to be uh, one of those key moments which undermined their case. They deny that anyone, apart from maybe the cover officer, knew about the sexual relationship taking place. What are the implications if senior officers were aware of a sexual relationship?
1: It would be catastrophic for the police's narrative at the beginning. When Mark was first uncovered the police were unclear about what their position was on undercover relationships but over time they have set upon a narrative bad apples. The system works but some individual officers went rogue. Now the implications of people further up the chain being aware those relationships being allowed to happen is that it's not just bad apples it's An institution that is abusing women as part of their undercover operations. I believe that the relationships were a tactic. It's quite clear that they gained operational benefit from the sexual relationship that Mark Kennedy had with me.
0: Okay, let's talk about (laughs) Article 14.
1: Article 14 is the right to enjoy your other human rights without discrimination. Police position was not to present evidence either way, but to ask the tribunal not to rule on the issue. The case that they did present was based on the idea that us saying that relationships had mostly impacted women was sexist.
0: Okay, so let me get this straight. Your case under Article 14 was that you were discriminated against by virtue of your sex. And their case was you're being sexist by saying that.
1: Our case was that the undercover officers were overwhelmingly men and the people impacted by those relationships were overwhelmingly women. The impact on women is also more severe because of the threats to your reproductive health, the danger of getting pregnant. They tried to argue that our argument was making assumptions about male and female mm-hmm. sexuality, that if they'd deployed women undercover officers, they wouldn't have tried to have sex.
0: Your argument wasn't that had they deployed women, they wouldn't have done this.
1: No. I, I mean, that's The fact of the matter is
0: that almost all of the undercover officers we know of were men. Most of the backroom staff were men. Most of the people signing off on the operations were men.
1: And the people affected were mostly yeah. women. So when the police started to present their case, the barrister stood up and he mumbled. You could hardly hear what he was saying. And he made a point at the very beginning of saying the police were taking the least adversarial position possible that... In no way was anything that he said in the court intended to undermine the public apology. The overall sense was one of embarrassment to counter our claim that undercover relationships were a form of sexist discrimination. To say the things that he was going to have to say without undermining the apology would be quite difficult. They declined to cross-examine any of our witnesses because they did not want the spectacle of a public hearing in which police lawyers bullied women on the witness stand, women abused by serving police officers. Overall, the police case seemed spectacularly weak to me.
0: Yeah, I mean... Perry QC had had such a build-up in our minds reading about him as this phenomenal top of his league and he was unbelievably unimpressive as was their case. To be fair he was probably past an impossible case. Your trial occurred shortly after the Sarah Everard case and the vigil in which the Met Police attacked and talking about the culture of misogyny, toxic masculinity, sexism in the police force.
1: Whilst that was going on, the the police were in court saying, we don't think the culture of sexism is important. The tribunal shouldn't bother to to look into whether or not there was sexist discrimination. They had to make a case, they had to defend the case, but they did not want to be seen to be aggressively defending this case.
0: Yeah, I, I think... The timing with the Sarah Everard stuff is significant in everyone's minds. I can't see how it can't have been. And if for no other reason than the fear that the media might have made a connection. Articles
1: 10 and 11, what are they? Articles 10 and 11 are the right to protest. That's what we were talking about. Mark and his handler and his operation had directly interfered with my political activity, whether or not I would be attending events, the creation of people's political opinions through their participation in meetings, and that those things were an interference with my right to protest.
0: And were these things which the police denied?
1: The police denied it. They also said that it shouldn't be part of the claim. That the claim was about the sexual relationship. At the trial, the barrister for the police said, it will be a problem for surveillance operations if in addition to considering people's right to privacy, the police have to take into account people's right to freedom of association and freedom of expression. And they asked the court not to enter a ruling on that point.
0: Okay, so they denied that they interfered with the right to protest and they actually say if you rule on this it has the potential to complicate police operations in the future. Can you give examples of the evidence you had for the way in which police had interfered with your rights under Articles 10 and 11?
1: There's a number of examples. Mark Kennedy is instructed to lend me money in order to make sure that I attend a meeting in Hamburg. Mark talked me out of being involved in projects or talked me into on one specific occasion going with him to Ireland where I was arrested with him. They wanted me to be in certain spaces and it's very clear that I was being actively manipulated by the operation
0: uh, let's for a moment talk about the makeup of the tribunal itself um you had three judges sit on a panel yeah they were not the original panel from nope. early on in the they, they got rid of the one who was always asleep
1: <laughs> someone the, die the panel changed a number of times when we when we got to trial the the panel was we ha- the panel that we had was very good so the first day was a reading day and i wasn't really sure of the point of the reading day but actually when we came to court it was really clear that the tribunal knew the material i've never seen a panel of judges that was so actively involved in the case and aware of the material and they asked very intelligent questions throughout um, and
0: I also noticed one judge in particular towards the end of an afternoon had a tendency to kind of go off on one and get a bit impatient and hostile with whoever it was happened to be talking at the time all the barristers were wanting to get the day done before, <laughs> before you got to that point it happened to both your barrister and to uh, Perry QC it's like... Three thirty, four o'clock, you know, now entering into that time where this judge really would rather go home and he's kind of losing his patience now. Um, you know, you'd have a whole day when you thought things were going really well and then he would suddenly go off on one and you'd think, oh, fuck, we've, like, totally lost him on that.
1: That happened to us around the lawfulness. These operations were vague, open-ended, intelligence-based operations involving massive violations of privacy, not just my privacy, but hundreds of people for years on end and that there was simply no justification for that. It goes way out of the things that were done to me shouldn't have happened. The operations against political movements should never have happened. And for a court to rule the undercover policing operations against the political movements that we were involved in were unlawful, would be a big deal. And we started making that argument at the end of the day and the judge got impatient and was clearly not keen on the argument. But it actually, I think, worked in our favour because we left court that day in a panic we'd heard all the slightly grumpy reasons why the court didn't really want to hear it. And we had to drill down into that and come back in the morning when everybody was fresh and and ready for a new day and make those arguments and make them better. It was challenging, but I think it actually helped us to make our case better.
0: Lawfulness, which I think covers quite a bit of ground that's more than one element to the lawfulness part your case is that the operations were unlawful and that the, the authorization regime under which these operations exist were unlawful
1: The police have already admitted massive human rights abuses in relation to not just Mark Kennedy's operation, but also five other operations over a period of 10 years, at which point either those operations weren't lawful or the law is wrong. The legal regime that defines how these operations are authorised, which is put in place to protect our human rights, was unable to protect our human rights,
0: Could you have both? Could they be unlawful and the law be inadequate?
1: You could have an inadequate law and they could still fail to comply with the inadequate law. The police said that these operations were lawful and that they complied with the regulatory regime. They can't have it both ways. The admissions that they made were specific to me. The operations were disproportionate.
0: Yeah, proportionality is a part of the requirement of the authorisation. So they can't say the operation was disproportionate without admitting that the operation was unlawful.
1: They admitted that the operations were unlawful in my particular circumstances, but they maintained that they were lawful overall.
0: Right, and your case is that overall they weren't lawful and possibly the, the very framework of the law itself is inadequate. Much of the police case revolved around the SOCA report. What can you tell us about that?
1: After Mark Kennedy was uncovered, there were a large number of investigations. You had Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, you had the Rose Report into the Ratcliffe arrests. We worked out by end of 2012, there were maybe 12 or 13 different official investigations. One of them was the Serious Organised Crime Authority report. It was conducted in... 2011 and it was secret we received parts of it we didn't receive the whole report but we did receive parts of it redacted in disclosure Um, and the police relied very heavily on it which shows how weak their case was because a lot of what the Soka report said was damning however they did conclude that the operations were lawful overall despite all the criticism, and the police were relying on the SOCA report on that point about lawfulness and the proportionality and necessity of the operations. The SOCA report was actually an annex to the 2012 Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary report. It was one piece of evidence that was considered by the HMIC, which, as far as I'm concerned, means that the HMIC report trumps the SOCA report, because the SOCA report was considered as part of the HMIC report.
0: We talked last time about the statements of uh, Sir Stephen Howes. There were also letters exchanged between the police lawyers and various of the police officers involved, but relied on quite heavily in the trial. Were statements made by Mark Kennedy himself before the Parliamentary Select Committee, I believe?
1: Home Affairs Select Home Committee. Affairs Select
0: Committee. Um, how did that play out? What was the uh, significance of his testimony? The
1: police case relied, as you said, on witness evidence that wasn't witness evidence. After they said they wouldn't be presenting him for cross examination, it was ruled that. The witness statements of Sir Stephen House, everything that he said that was inference or opinion, would be disregarded because he has no first-hand experience of the case and he's not willing to appear to be cross-examined. You've got the letters that you talk about between the police lawyers and some of the people not incidentally Mark Kennedy but um, the letters that they exchanged with Mark Kennedy's handler and with a number of his commanding officers throughout the period of his deployment the correspondence specifically states that they will not be asked to give evidence under oath they're just being asked in order to assist the legal team in the end the court ruled that those communications had to be handed over to us and they were used as evidence. And then you have Mark Kennedy's evidence to the Home Affairs Select Committee. I think in, our, in the IPT part one podcast we talked about parliamentary privilege. The Speaker of the House of Commons was also asked about whether or not the Evidence given to the Home Affairs Select Committee could be used in the trial and it's not clear whether it can or not. That leaves the police with very little upon which they're basing their case.
0: Do we know when we find out? I mean, the, the trial ended and the tribunal went off to consider their verdict?
1: The tribunal said that it would take... A long time covid and the summer holidays are likely to impact on how long the ruling will take but the summer holidays are over and freedom day has happened so
0: and what would the verdict look like can you lose what outcomes are possible
1: there are things that we can't lose the police have admitted a large number of human rights violations in relation to this case we can win or lose, in my mind, on the political rights and on the sexism and on the systemic question of whether the operations were lawful.
0: We're talking about a, trib- a tribunal who have, uh, what, one in a hundred times ruled in, uh, against the state. We should have some pretty low expectations. But as we've already discussed, the scope for losing as it were is is very minimal the the hearing got almost zero coverage beyond the usual suspects it'll be interesting to see if the media to be I mean to be fair to the media this isn't an easy case to have covered you've got various pretrial hearings and an admission and an admission being taken back and you know us trying to get media for what well, to us is really significant, but like to have to restate the whole case every time. So, when the verdict comes, whether they're going to cover it, don't know. don't know. What dead cat will be bouncing out of the Tory party at the time? Total crisis disaster. I mean, maybe there's rolling blackouts across the country and then <laughs> nobody hears about it. <laughs> <laughs> good luck to the media if you need any help give us a call (laughs) in my mind there's loads of questions around the significance of the verdict what it means for you and what it means for policing and protest in general but i think those questions could wait until we do a episode on the verdict itself yep so thank you very much for listening Please let your friends know about this podcast and others uh, by the Info podcasts. Um, Do follow it all on Twitter and other social media thingies and listen out for when the verdict is announced and uh, come back for the final episode when we talk about the verdict. You can find all the previous episodes at spycops.info, apart from these which are clearly marked as like part one, part two, part three. We're not doing the rest of the series in any kind of order, so dip in wherever you like. If you're able to take the time to rate, review, or like, or whatever your podcast provider does, we'd really appreciate it.